This is a WTOP original podcast. This is Scott Greenberg, host of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. I'm really excited to welcome Ricky Trombetta, CEO of Trombetta Family Wines, to the studio today. Trombetta Family Wines are coming to the D.C. area, and I couldn't be more excited. Ricky got her start in home winemaking in a very non-traditional way. She was originally an event planner who then started helping out on harvests and then ended up making wine in the cellar with what would be considered a celebrity winemaker. But today, she's making wines with her daughter, Erica. They have a very different approach. It's a really interesting story, and I'm really happy to share it with you. Tell me, Ricky, where does your story start? Well, it's interesting because um, you would think, coming from an Italian family, that there would be wine on the table. Um, My parents, my dad would have a glass now and then, but my mother did not drink. And my story with wine really didn't begin until... I met my future husband, Roger, at Hewlett-Packard in Santa Rosa, California. Now, my husband is an electrical engineer, and he had a property on Vine Hill School Road. That's right in the neighborhood with Tom Dellinger, Joe Swan, and Kistler. Now, this is in Sonoma. This is in Sonoma County. So it's a little town of Sebastopol. And his neighbor... Carmine Indindoli, there's a good Irish name. Um, Carmine was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, got his engineering degree, came out to work at HP, but he always had a dream of planting his own vineyard of Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Cabernet Sauvignon. So when the grapes started coming in, this was back in the early 80s, uh, Carmine was gracious enough to invite a number of us to come over and learn how to be home winemakers. And that's what we did. Yeah, sounds pretty Italian. So Very. is that is that where you the bug bit you, like from this home winemaking venture? I mean, were you stomping grapes in a bathtub? Or? Pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, Carmine um, had some fairly sophisticated equipment. But um, yes, that is where the bug bit me. And so uh, Roger and I decided to take some classes at our local Santa Rosa Junior College and then also at UC Davis, just more for the parameters of what to do and what not to do, so that we ended up with good drinkable Vindatub. Vindatub or Vindatub. Exactly. Yes, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) But then it didn't stop there, though. That was really the beginning of this. And then you ended up meeting somebody who's pretty famous in the wine world. Yeah, you could say he's a little bit of a rock star, but I knew him before he became a rock star, so I like to remind him of that now and again. (laughs) Um, In 98, I had retired from working at HP, and I was raising kids, and a local um, grape grower, Harry Walker, called me up one day and said, there's a winemaker that just bought a piece of property in Sebastopol, and he's planning on building his winery and planting his estate vineyard. He wants to put on party to celebrate the occasion, but he doesn't have anybody working for him, and he really needed someone to coordinate this. Would I be interested in meeting him? So I said, sure. So I went over to meet him, not knowing who he was, and in walks this fellow with um, Bermuda shorts, Converse red Converse high tops. Of course. And um, what was it? A polo shirt. 
And I thought, you know, if he's got red Converse shoes on, he's got to have a good sense of humor. Well, he stuck out his hand and he said, hi, my name is Paul Hobbs. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Paul Hobbs. <laughs> Paul Hobbs. Okay. But I had no clue who Paul Hobbs was. Good. It's <laughs> like not knowing who Sting is. You exactly. Know? Like... Exactly. Um, and so when Paul and I got to talking, he found out that I was a home winemaker. And he said, hey, what are you doing Monday morning? And I said, well, I have to drop the kids off to school. And he said, well, can you get someone else to do that for you? And I said, yeah, I can probably arrange that. Well, that turned into... 10 years of my working side by side with Paul in the vineyards, in the cellar, and when he built the winery, developing his hospitality program. Wow. So, I mean, trial by fire. Oh, yeah. Or a grape. Oh, yeah. I guess. Oh, you have no That's, idea. So, really, you were, like in the old days, they had apprentices. This was an apprenticeship for you. It was. It was. A 10 year apprenticeship. It was. And, you know, what the, was that like? Paul in, Hobbs. Intense. Um, but Paul is an amazing teacher. You can ask him all the dumb questions that you're afraid to raise your hand in a wine class where there are 150 people and ask him about how do you know when the fruit is really ripe? Because in the, the textbook, it says, oh, you have to pick between 23.5 degrees bricks and 24.5 degrees bricks. And he said, that's nonsense. So he showed me how to look at a plant and determine that it's getting ready. And also, he said, don't go by numbers. You know, at the, at the end of the day, taste the fruit. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to get out in the vineyard. You got to taste the fruit. You got, and you know why? Because sometimes the, the, the bricks are right, but the seeds are still a little green. And you don't want that. No. And, and this, is, this is a common misconception the bricks, that's a guideline. Bricks, by the way, is a measure of sugar in the grape. Correct. For, yeah, I mean, because we have a tendency sometimes, we, we wine speak once in a while. I know, we get a little know, nerdy. We get a little, you know, nerdy, yeah. and I want to make sure that, you know, everybody understands what bricks are. Exactly, exactly. So there's a, a, a fancy little tool that we use out in the vineyard where we take the juice from the grapes, and it's called a refractometer. And basically what it does is it has a, a crystal mechanism where the, the sugar will reflect in the lens and you'll see a line and right. it gives you a measurement. That blue line. That blue line. But like Paul said, and I, and I, this is how I explain it to people. You know how you go to the supermarket and you see that perfect peach? Absolutely gorgeous. The color is perfect. There's no green on it. And you bring it home with great anticipation and you bite into it and it tastes like cardboard. And that's because the phenolics, the flavors have not had a chance to develop. And that's what Paul was trying to teach me, was don't go by numbers, go by taste. And there, there are many other signs. I mean, you know, looking at the seeds, that they're brown and they crunch like a nut, and the skin is softer, and the, the, um, the flesh around the, the seeds it has become clear. Oh, so. Ricky, you are, <laughs> boy, you speak uh, grape I sex. I know. And, you know, I, I, I love it because I love to grow things. That's kind of my, my gig. I got the farmer gene in the family. And um, it was so exciting for me to work, especially in the vineyards with Paul. I just really resonate with that. So you went from professional HP. Yes. To, and not to be demeaning, but housewife. 
house yes. mom, right? Yes. Homemaker for exactly. like, you know, 1950s term. Yeah. To like Lily started off as, hey, can you help me with an event? And now 10 years later, you're side by side with Paul in the vineyard, in the winery. What led to Trombetta? So, I mean, there must have been some point at which you said, hey, this is so cool. I want to do it myself. Well, actually, Paul had been after my husband and me to start our own project. And I looked at Paul and I said, you don't start a winery when you're 60. I mean, you know, all the work that goes into it and it takes years to build a following it's just, it's a tremendous undertaking. But I'll tell you what happened. It was such a fun evening. So Paul was single at the time. And we have two kids. And the um, there was a phone line upstairs, as my daughter likes to remind me, Mom. It was the DSL line. Um, but I call it the teenager's line. So the kids had a phone line upstairs. And Paul would call my daughter, who was 10 years old, and say, What's mom making for dinner? Is there enough? Can I come over? And, <laughs> <laughs> and so he would show oh, up. Mom must have been yeah, a good cook. <laughs> I, I, I know my way around the kitchen. Right. Um, you know, I'm Italian on both sides. So, oh, you know. I, I, yeah, yeah. Grazie. So um, Paul would come over and we'd just throw another plate on the table and it was no big deal. Well, one night he brought a bottle of Merlot from the Michael Black Vineyard in Coombsville, Napa. Oh, yeah, I actually yeah, I know that. Yeah. Oh, that stuff was. I called, I called it Paul's most seductive wine. It really was. So he pours them in a glass for all of us, and he pours them for my daughter Erica. Like I said, she was ten. And he said, "Erica, smell this. Tell me what you think." So she picks the glass up. She starts swirling it around like a pro, and Paul's kind of looking at me, you know, giving me side glances, and I'm just, you know. It's okay. And she starts talking about the aromatics. Allspice. Cinnamon. Pie crust. And Paul's eyes are falling out of his head. And he's going, oh, my God, she's got it. She's, she's a got prodigy. it. Yes, she needs to become a winemaker. And I said, yes, and tomorrow she's going to be a fairy princess. And the day after that, she'll be a fireman. Um, you know, she was 10. But and this he, is Erica. And this is Erica. Okay. And so... Paul very gently mentored her over the years. And um, she was a junior in high school, and we were going down to a horse event in Fresno. And because Fresno State had an equestrian, a recognized equestrian program, we were going to stop by anyway. And Paul said, go over and talk to John Giannini. He's the head of the winemaking at Fresno State. Since 1998, they have had a bonded winery, and the students learn everything about making wine, how to pull pumps apart, how to put them back together, how to clean the tank, every aspect. So we went through the tour, and Erica walked out, and she got that look that only Erica can get on her face, and she said, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a winemaker. I said, Okay. Great. So starting in freshman year, she had to start with her chemistry classes because a lot of people don't realize this, but winemakers have as much chemistry as a pre-med student. And I thought, this will be the test. 
but she ate it up, and she loves it. This is her passion. The road to winemaking is littered with pre-med students. Yes, it is. They, they get in there, and they take chemistry, and like, okay, well, this is cool, but I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be a winemaker. And so it's just funny that you had mentioned that there is a lot of chemistry involved. Oh, yes. And, you know, Paul, that was, that was his discipline when he went to Notre Dame in Indiana. I didn't he know was that. going to be a doctor. I he did wanted not know he that. wanted to be a world famous surgeon. And look at where he is. He's world famous. Yes, he's world famous. He's world famous. But so Erica takes the chemistry class, says, aha, does you know, you said that that was going to be the seminal moment, and it was in a positive way. And fast forward Where's where? What's she doing today? Well, let me tell you just a couple of little things. Um, she graduated in 2010, in December of 2010. From Fresno State. From Fresno State. Okay. And Paul invited her to go down to Mendoza, Argentina and work at Viña Cobos um, with him down there. And she did. And when Erica graduated in 2010, then Roger and I said, okay, now it makes sense. We'll make a little wine and see how it goes. So we started with just about 400 and something cases from the Gaps Crown Vineyard in the Petaluma Gap, some Pinot Noir, and that's how we got started. So uh, two quick questions. One, let's, I want to back up just a second. Erica is at Fresno State University. She's a freshman. So I'm going to guess she's 18-ish? Correct. Okay. Can you <laughs> legally drink? Wine. I mean, how do the, how do kids become winemakers in the state of California when the drinking age is twenty one? I'm just curious. I've, I've never no, really yeah, asked no, this question a, before. No, that's a great question you because know? actually, there's so much that they need to learn before they start taking the fermentation classes. The fermentation classes don't start until they are legally twenty one. Okay. Yes, but they have to take viticulture classes, uh-huh. and they have to learn botany. I mean, there's so much that they need to learn before they even get into the actual wine making. All right. So the, the curriculum is is designed to get to, to provide them with a lot of education before they get to the uh yeah, the sip Correct. and swirl yes. stage. Yes. Okay. So fast so now you and your husband have decided, all right, we're gonna we'll we'll stick our toe in the proverbial water yes. uh, of this and we're gonna try to make some wine, or we are going to make some wine. And you produced around 400 cases. And you said it came Pinot Noir from the Petaluma Gap, which is a new AVA, where American Viticultural Area. It is a sub AVA of the Sonoma Coast. So it encompasses the town of Petaluma. In fact, what's interesting is this AVA actually goes down into Marin County and gives them their first sub appellation. And why is it called the Gap? Because if you look on a map, it's so interesting. Mother Nature has these really interesting little things she does for us, little gifts she gives us. So imagine you have the Pacific Ocean, the coastal hills, and um, this landmass that goes down and curves around and goes down to San Francisco Bay. Well, interestingly enough, most of the time the coastal hills are running north-south. Mother Nature ran them east-west. So as the landmass warms up during the summertime, you know, our average temperatures are 85, 95 degrees, that cold, cold, cold Pacific Ocean air at about 3 o'clock 
comes barreling in. And we're not talking about a wispy breeze. We are talking about a major wind tunnel. It's clocked between 8 and 12 miles an hour, and it's a constant wind. And it funnels down into San Francisco Bay, bumping off all the hills. Uh, and that's what gave it its its boundaries, if you will. The AVA boundaries, which, by the way, we'll, I, I want to touch on that in a second, but can continue with the gap. So I'm going to get a little nerdy. Um, but what happens if you compare the bunches of grapes from the Petaluma Gap to, say, Russian river fruit, the berries are smaller in the gap fruit. And that's um, a good thing? It's a very good thing because there's more concentration of flavor. The skin is a little bit thicker, which gives you a little bit more tannin. Um, there is longer hang time because with that really cold air, it, the plants actually do shut down at night. And the longer hang time translates to letting the phenolics, the flavors, develop, which is a really good thing because you have this wonderful, wonderful sunshine all day long, and then you get this cold air, and the, and it's almost like going to the spa, you know. <laughs> the spa for grapes. The spa for grapes. <laughs> and so you get this incredible balance between the ripeness of the fruit but the good acidity that keeps it all in balance. Wow. So I I, Okay, so first of all, you, you did geek out a little bit. So I, when I'm we sorry. talk about so hang time, ladies and gentlemen, means how long the the berries actually stay on the vine before they're harvested. So we're we're talking about you're harvesting later in the season. Typically, yes. Okay, about when? About end of September, early October. Okay, so you got to get back home soon, ish. Yes. Well, Erica, that's why Erica stayed ah, back okay. in Sonoma County because she is out walking vineyards every morning. Testing the grapes, right. tasting them, yep. seeing where they are. And, uh, you know, we're not quite ready yet, but soon. So, Ricky, I have to say again for our listeners who can't see this, it's actually been wonderful watching you talk. You definitely can tell you're Italian. Because <laughs> oh, the hands were whipping your around. Your hands were just whipping around. <laughs> you're describing the gap, and you're like, this is the gap. And your hands are going back and forth, and then you're talking about how it curves down into the bay, and your hands are curving down. It's just been... No, keep it up, because I, I think if you, you keep your hands on the uh, on the counter, you won't be able to talk. No, you're absolutely <laughs> so... right. I mean, you know, if I sit on them, I won't speak. <laughs> so just wanted to say that it was actually kind of adorable. So Petaluma Gap, yes. that's where you're, but you have a very special vineyard in the Petaluma Gap where you're getting your fruit. We do. It's called the Gap's Crown Vineyard. Now, this vineyard sits on the southwest face of Sonoma Mountain. Sonoma Mountain is huge. Uh, it's a million-year-old extinct volcano. People think mountain and they think pointed top. Well, this was an old volcano, so it's kind of caved in. It looks like a muffin that someone stepped on. Right, right. And it goes from, well, the circumference is huge. It goes almost out to Highway 12 in the Glen Ellen area, all the way out to almost Highway 101. Okay, so how far is that? Oh, I don't know how many miles, at least, I don't know. Guess. I want to say 10. Okay. Probably. 10 yeah, miles. At least, at least 10 miles right. from there. Yeah. And what's interesting is that 
when I first went to work for Paul, I was working a, a really famous vineyard on the eastern slope called the Dinner Vineyard. They grow amazing Chardonnay. And that's where Paul makes his Cuvée Augustina. And so that's where I got my basic training in how to manage picks. Um, so Paul was very instrumental in that. He took us into the barrel room and he said, all right, here is all the Pinot Noir from all the different vineyards and all the different clones are separated. So my husband and I were able to take the wine thief and pull out different samples and see what we liked. And then when we zeroed in on the Gaps Crown Fruit, which Paul kind of rolled his eyes and said, I knew you were going to go for that. Um, we were able to come up with a blend from different blocks of different clones. Now, for those of your listeners who don't understand what clones are, I think my daughter has one of the best analogies ever. You have the family of dogs. So that's the family of grapes. You have dachshunds, collies, Labrador retrievers, German shepherds, and so on. So think of each of those family of dogs as a varietal. So let's take Labrador retrievers. Let's, let's say that's Pinot Noir. In that family, you have black labs, yellow labs, chocolate, chocolate labs, labs right? long-haired labs, and the list goes on. It's just a genetic variation of the same grape. Mother Nature did that on her own over hundreds of years based on soils and weather. But you see Davis kind of helped her along with some... Uh, genetic variations as well. A little so, matchmaking there? Yeah, a little matchmaking. And, it, and it, it's great because, you know, there are some nuances. There are some differences in, right. in weather and soils that right, we right. have to take into consideration. But mostly, why are clones important? Because they have little different flavor profiles. And that's what we're looking for. Right. Yeah. So the triple seven is different from, say, the swan. Correct. It's just an example of two yes. clones of Pinot Noir, for example. Yeah. I mean, so just, and you um, do know how Swan got its name. No. No, I don't. Okay, so Joe was a neighbor of ours, Joe Swan. Okay. And do tell. he was an airplane pilot, and he worked for a commercial airlines that used to go to France quite often. And so one day he was visiting <coughs> Romani Conti. Yeah, no names. Just <laughs> initials, DRC. <laughs> <laughs> and oops, they're in... Sonoma County now. Oops. Wow. That, I did not know that. And yes. it's the Swan clone. Yes. <sighs> okay. That's pretty cool. Because I actually just did a clonal tasting recently and the Swan did stand out. Oh. Now, it could have been because of soil and weather and whatever, but yes. we, it is interesting to go through those tastings and then go through the blending. Yes. But anyway, I, I digress. Continue. Where was I? So we started with uh, the Gaps Crown and... Paul was our consulting winemaker from 2010 when we started the project. But in 2014, he literally handed the reins over to Erica and said, okay, you're ready. Wow. And Just he's known it. her almost her whole life. Almost most, her whole life. Most of her life. Yes. In fact, Erica got married in June and Uncle Paul was there and gave the most beautiful little talk about Erica. And I mean, there wasn't a dry oh. eye anywhere. So oh. it was it was very, very cute. It's Wonderful, I'm sure, for Erica to have Paul as her wine godfather. Oh yes, for, for lack of a, you know, absolutely a pretty good analogy, I, I think. Yes, but let's talk about you 
for a second because you started this. You were the one who got bit by this. You you worked with Paul for 10 years and then your daughter becomes a winemaker. You have had what I would call more of an internship or apprentice approach to winemaking. Your daughter has had more of a formal technical approach to winemaking at, at Fresno State. Do you work together? Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> and, and do you work well together? Like, how does that work? I mean, I'm just a mother-daughter. Awesome. First of all, awesome that it's a mother-daughter team. That's great. But tell me about the dynamic of working with your daughter, since you've had two very different paths into this winemaking enterprise. Yes. And it's easy to fall into the mother-daughter routine of mother-child, but Eric and I learned early on to respect each other and what we can bring to the table. So she is in charge of production, and she will tell us what's happening, and we will talk about it. We'll have discussions. But really, we leave the winemaking decisions to her. I, on the other hand, I'll, I'll help. I still go out on the picks, and I'll tell you some funny stories about that. But um, I'll go out on the picks with Erica and help. But I now am running the company, so I'm doing the marketing, the sales, the hospitality. The podcasts. The podcasts and everything else. <laughs> so what is a funny story on the picks? So as you can imagine, you know, we have these incredible workers that typically come from Mexico and Central America that come up and help us in the vineyards. And I have the utmost respect for them because I've been working with them for a very long time. And it's backbreaking labor. This oh, is not easy. Oh, no. People you, think of wine as sexy. They have no idea sometimes Well, you know, in the movies, how hard this is. Yeah, it's agriculture. It is. It's agriculture. But, you know, in the movies, they always show you this flat piece of land right. that they're picking. Right. No, no, no. We're talking about running up hillsides right. and mountains. Right. And it's dangerous and it's very, very difficult. So I called the vineyard manager at Gap's Crown, and I asked Rob Harris, who's a sweetheart and I adore him, would it be possible for me to go out on the pick when uh, they come to our block and our rows? And he said, what are you planning on doing? And I said, well, you know, I used to manage picks for Paul, so you can call him and talk to him about this. But all I want to do is make sure my bins are clean, that there are no leaves, because I don't want any off flavors when... The grapes go in to get processed and just to overall see the quality of the fruit, just to make sure everything's okay. So Rob said, sure. So we do all of our picks at night. They start at nine at night and they end at seven in the morning. Well, they were picking our first block and it was about one o'clock in the morning. So I could drive out there and I've got my little headlamp on and I've got my Felco snippers in the back of my pocket and my blue shop towels. And I go marching up the hill and I catch up with the guys and I know very little Spanish, but the little that I do know is I know how to say hello and introduce myself. And they're looking at me, and they're looking at their crew boss, and they look back at me. And I could tell in Spanish they were saying, who's the old lady? (laughs) 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 And it was really funny. And so I just very quietly just went along with my work. So over the years, we have developed a huge respect for each other. But, you know, when Erica went down to Mendoza, Argentina, she came back speaking Spanish. It's Castellan. It's not Mexican Spanish, but it's more of the Castilian. But they adore her because she can laugh with them and talk with them. And, That's so valuable. And, and it's so valuable. It really is. And we are literally 
the only owners, winemakers that are out there at one o'clock in the morning working with the guys. Wow. And you're not making a lot of wine. No. How many cases? Right now we're up to about 1,400 cases. So it's still small. We're, we're tiny. We're very tiny. But you, you've got a little bit of a footprint. I mean, you're here in Washington, yes. D.C. Yes. Right? So that's a good thing. Yeah, it's a very good thing. And so what we're doing is we're targeting just a few very special markets in the United States to bring our wines in so that we can slowly expand. So for our listeners, just give me an idea of what those markets are in case they're lucky enough to be in one. Well, we are looking at the D.C., Virginia, Maryland market. Mm Mm-hmm. Las Vegas, Nevada. Cool. And I'm hoping that we can get maybe some distribution in North or South Carolina and um, maybe Florida. All right. Well, good. Good to uh, good to know. I'm glad. You know, and if you happen to be listening to this podcast and you are able to find Trombetta, Trombetta, sorry, the um, we, we're actually going to now take a moment because it's that time in the podcast. Yay! Where we stop talking about wine <laughs> and we actually get to taste the wine. I'm very excited. You have three wines in front of us yes. today, Ricky, and I'm. I'm this is kind of cool. So, can you take us through uh, the first one? What do we? What is? What's in my glass? It's definitely white. This is our Chardonnay. Yes. From Carmine's Vineyard. So this is the Indendoli Vineyard Chardonnay from Russian River, and we make a little over a hundred cases. This What's wine. the vintage on this? This is our 2017. Mm. Mm. So the vinification, the mm-hmm. way we make the wine, is that the grapes... I'm going to drink while you talk. <laughs> <laughs> this is really good. <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, the wine, or mm. the grapes come in, and we press the white grapes. The juice goes into a big tank that gets chilled down for 24 hours so that the heavy pieces, you know, the skin and seeds and all of that fall to the bottom. Then what we do is rack off or pull off the juice, and it's not clear, it's still very cloudy, into all French oak barrels. But only 25% are new. The rest are neutral. Which is beautiful because in this wine, you, you can taste a little oak. It's not over-oaked, and the mouthfeel on this, the balance. So I'm, I'm a balance and mouthfeel kind of person. That's the first thing I notice. And then, then I start to think about fruit and tannins and structure. But the first thing, that the, my first impression is always mouthfeel, like in the balance in my mouth. And how does, how does it, what's it doing in there? This is a beautiful, beautiful Chardonnay. Thank you. You know, um, in California... There's a tendency to maybe go a little overboard with oak or, uh, you know, sometimes I've actually, you know, the, the joke is, wow, this, this, it's, would you like a little wine with your oak? Yes. <laughs> but this is just really very pretty. Well, thank you. And you're speaking Erica's language because she's all about mouthfeel as well. And so she also uses a French te- technique, surlis uh, batonnage, which is a fancy way of saying when the yeast cells have done their job and they fall down to the bottom of the the belly of the barrel, the batonnage, the stick, they open up the barrel and swirl the leaves around and and they stir it. And she does that every eight to 10 days. And that gives that that wonderful silky richness, richness. almost a 
I don't want to say fatness, no, but a roundness. There is. A roundness. There is. That right in your cheeks, yeah. you get this little hint of mm. that, mm, you know. It's, and, and it's, you know, if we've been, and, and the flavors are great. I mean, you know, you're, it's it's running more towards orchard fruit in, in, yes. in my glass, right? You know, yes. I mean, there's a little bit of apple that I would associate with Chardonnay, but I'm really getting a lot of, you know, that white peach, white nectarine, uh, nice acidity, not overpowering on the end. Um, I, I think of this as maybe a food Chardonnay. I would love to have this. Roast chicken. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so maybe, think a, of, maybe a little uh, sand dabs. You know, I just came back from California, you know, uh, and I think having this wine, sit down with some sand dabs. Well, and think of something like lemon risotto with seared sea scallops. Oh, uh, yeah. Molto bene. <laughs> molto bene. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind that. So um, the next wine is, uh, looks like a, looks and smells like a Pinot. It is a Pinot Noir. And this, is our uh, 2016 Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir. And again, there's another darling story that goes with this. So William and Diane Peterson, their family has had this property in the family for five generations. They were dairy farmers. And in 1997, they planted a block of Pinot Noir and also a block of Chardonnay. Well, the grapes immediately went under contract with a couple of wineries. Their daughter, Marita, worked with us at Hewlett-Packard, and Marita came to my husband one day and said, you know, mom and dad um, have all their grapes under contract, and the wineries never give them any of the finished products, so they don't know what their grapes taste like mm. and wine. And mm. I was like, what? So she asked us if we would mind making some home wine. So every year we get 400 pounds, and we make about 10, 12 cases for them for their home wine. So in 2012, uh, when Erica was working over at Rudd Estate as um, an intern, she gave me a call and said, Mom, I just heard that the Peterson Pinot Noir is now not under contract. And I said, oh, my gosh, okay. So I called William and Diane, and we jumped on this. And um, we still make the 400 pounds for them, though, at home. You do, so they get do. so you get the grapes to make for your your consumers. Yes. And then they still get their 12 cases. Well, they get their 12 cases, but we also give them, we give all of our growers a case of the finished product. Wow. Okay. I That's be our way to say thank you for growing such incredible I have grapes. one word for this wine. Pretty. Thank you. It is pretty. It is a pretty Pinot Noir. Not over-extracted, not what I would think of as your typical California, it, you, I can see through it. I'm holding yes. it up right now to a white sheet, and I can, <laughs> I can. It's like this beautiful garnet yes. color. I just think this is a very, very pretty Pinot Noir. What's the price point on this? Do you know? Um, if you had about to guess, sixty. About sixty for this? Yes. Wow. Retail. retail. Yes. Sixty retail. Yes. You got any on you? <laughs> <laughs> and my checkbook's in the car. That's it's delicious. That is. Thank you. Okay, and now. Um, you, as a treat, you brought a third wine. Yes. We normally have two. You brought three. I brought three. Oh, okay. I'm your favorite, aren't I? Yes. You can tell me. Of course. All right. And this is our Gaps Crown Pinot Noir. <gasps> this is the this 2015. Is we just released this. This is the Gaps Crown. So, in Crown. fact, all these wines we just released, but yes. Small berries, thick skin. Yes. All right. I'm going in. Tell me about it. Well, we love this vineyard because it's so meticulously cared for. And one of the things that I love, the difference between the Sonoma Coast and the Gaps Crown is that 
Sonoma Coast is a pretty wine, and it's very approachable, and it's great with food. I I almost think of this as almost a Heathcliff kind of thing, a little bit more brooding, but it's 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 not heavy. It's not it's masculine. Just, it's not masculine. But it's not feminine either. It just is rich and lots and lots and lots of layers of flavor. And um, I start thinking of roasted meats and duck and really. Yeah, there's some savory notes in this wine. Yes. That are in two very different Pinot Noirs. Very, very different. different. Um, and and it, it is a little brooding. It is a little brooding. It's a little brooding, you know. And I have to say, it's it's also kind of a little sexy. Well, we it's have a little sexy. It is this wine. I kind of feel like I'm you. being seduced here. <laughs> you know, the first sip is like, "Hey, big boy, <laughs> come back." And, here I, and I'm I'm going in again. It's beautiful. There you go. But you know, it's funny because the first one was what I would again. I said pretty, elegant. I would not t- characterize the the Gap's Crown as that. But yeah, a little richer, brooding, kind of, you know, it wants you to get to know it. Yes, it does. In a very good way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Normally I spit, I just swallowed that one. <laughs> that was worth it. Oh, thank you. Wow. So, Ricky, it's been a pleasure having you in the studio today. Thank you so much for coming all the way in from California. Can you just remind our listeners again, what are the three wines that we had the pleasure of tasting with you today? Well, thank you. The first wine was the Trombetta Family Wines 2017 Chardonnay from the Indendoli Vineyard based in Russian River. The second wine is our Trombetta 26, uh, yes, 2016 uh, Sonoma Coast. It's our Pinot Noir from the Sonoma Coast. And the last is our Trombetta 2015 Pinot Noir from the Gaps Crown Vineyard. Wow. Well, thank you so much again for being here. Please tell Erica I said thank you for these lovely wines as, as well. Thank you. You've done good. Thanks for listening to The Vine Guy, a WTOP News podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at The Vine Guy and catch my Wine of the Week segments on Fridays on WTOP and WTOP.com. Sarah Beth Hensley produced this episode. The music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Until the next episode, do good, drink well. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, My Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. 
Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.